So Matthew chapter 7, here we go, okay? We're winding down the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew for some time. And uh, as we've been saying, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is uh, Jesus is preaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So he's gathered, he's called some people to repentance. If you remember way back in Matthew chapter 4, he went out preaching. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near. And so people started to repent. They actually got baptized. They started following Jesus. And then he pulls a whole bunch of people together on the mountainside and he actually starts to preach to them. And essentially, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus explaining to those people, to us, what the kingdom of heaven looks like, what it looks like to be a kingdom person, what it looks like when the rule and reign of Jesus Christ comes to bear on a, on a person, on a people. Uh, and so where we are now, we're starting to wind down the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is bringing his sermon uh, to a close. And uh, like all good preachers, Jesus was a good preacher. And like all good preachers, he's starting to, to posture us to actually respond to the things that he's been saying. So, uh, so what we're going to see from here until the end of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is going to start to, how do we say this? I guess the West Village way of saying this is he's going to start punching us in the throat. Right? Some of you are like, oh man, you got punched in the throat this morning by the gospel. Well, get ready. Okay? Get ready. Hope you brought your cup uh, or whatever. If you're, I don't know. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 7. Here we go. Picking up in verse 13. I'll just read a bunch of verses and we'll come back and unpack those verses. Jesus says this in verse uh, 13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few will find it. So Jesus comes right out of the gate, and immediately he starts to ask a question to us. And this is essentially what these two verses, three verses mean for us. I've just taught you about what it looks like to live in my kingdom. I've laid out for you the, the, uh, the constitution of the kingdom. I've laid out for you what it looks like when I am king and you are not, when you're living for my kingdom and not your kingdom, when you submit yourself to me. I'm, I'm, I've laid all that out. And now here's the question. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? And what Jesus does here, and this is very un-Canadian of him, very un-Canadian. Jesus was not, he would not have been a good Canadian. He says, there's only two choices. That's it, two options. Option number one, you follow me. Option number two, you walk away from me. That's it. Nothing in between. Very, very un-Canadian. Very, very intolerant of this Jesus fellow to say such things. Look at, look at what he says here. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. But then look at this. He describes one of the options for our response as this. Uh, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. So in other words, one of the ways you can respond to the message that Jesus has been teaching and preaching, one of the ways you can respond to his call to call him king, to call him Christ, to call him savior, to call him Lord, to live in his kingdom is this, you can walk away from it. You can choose a different path. You can choose a different gate and a different path. And he describes it as a wide gate, a, a broad path that many will take that leads to destruction. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, if your life looks not like the life I've been calling you to live, then it is very likely that you are indeed on that path. So in other words, and I want you to feel this with me here, okay? Because I think 
you know, in the church, we, we, we get this wrong. We, 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 get, we think we understand what it means to follow Jesus, but we don't. And, and so much of what preaching and teaching and, and pastoral ministry is, is actually just deconstructing our preconceived ideas and notions. So, so a lot of times, here's what we think. We think to enter into the kingdom of heaven is we pray a prayer, we make a decision, and then we're in. But what Jesus is saying here is it's so much more than just that. That there is indeed a gate you have to walk through, but then there is also a path you must walk on. And so what Jesus is saying here is the kingdom life following Jesus is more than just a moment, right? I mean, I make fun of this every six seconds, but it's more than just putting your hand up after a sermon or praying a prayer at summer camp. Like it's more than that. Uh, And and somehow I tend to drift into parenting sermons like every single Sunday. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do that again for fun. Um, fun for me, at least. Like one of the things we've intentionally not done with our kids is, you know, we've, we've never asked our kids, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? One, because I think the, the- theological premise of that is just horrific. Uh, but second, because I don't ever want to give my kids the illusion that they're followers of Jesus when they're not. I, I don't want them to ask Jesus in their, into their heart, tell them like hell is hot, forever's a long time, you don't want to go there. So do you want to ask Jesus in your heart? Because then you don't have to go there. And then they say yes. And I realize I'm hyperbolizing here. And they say yes. And then they live under this preconceived notion that they're followers of Jesus because they made a decision way back there. See, what Jesus is saying is that's not actually what it means to follow me. It's not just about entering into a gate, although you do need to enter into a gate. It's actually about living a life. And so here's what he's saying. And there's a way to tell. Like he's going to go on in just a few verses, and I think we'll get there this morning. He can say, you can tell a tree by its fruit. You can tell a false teacher is a false teacher if you look at the fruit, right? A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. You can tell if someone's a kingdom person. How? By looking at the path they're walking on. By looking at the life they're living. And you can say, and I did youth ministry for 10 or 12 years, and I had this conversation a lot with parents where I would ask them about their their children, and, and they, would, they would stake their claim on a prayer that was prayed. And I understand that there's like a heart there, and there's a desire as parents. We want our kids to know Jesus, and we want to just believe the best. But the, the reality is, and, and I think it's just, it's just us being honest, is if they're not on the path, if we're not on the path, there's a good chance, there's a good, good chance, according to what Jesus is saying here, that we're not actually followers of him. So, so then this forces us to ask some questions, doesn't it? I mean, remember, Jesus is applying the Sermon on the Mount. We always got to understand what Jesus is saying in the context of what Jesus is saying. He's applying the Sermon on the Mount. And so all we have to do is go back to the Sermon on the Mount and just ask the question, like, is this my life? Like, is the sex ethic of the kingdom my sex ethic? Is, Is the way that I treat my marriage, is it the same way that Jesus calls me to treat my marriage in the Sermon on the Mount? Do I love my enemies? Do I pray for those who persecute me? Because we can't, we just can't say that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm living the kingdom life, and just do whatever we want. I mean, if you're shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're, you know, you just spend your money on whatever you want to spend your money on, essentially what Jesus is saying is if you think that your life is about you, you are on the wrong path. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, but go to verses 21 and 22, just 
a few verses ahead. These are going to be the verses we talk about next week, but listen to what he says. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wait, that's just, yeah, blows up our categories. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform any miracles? And then verse 23, which I don't think is on the screen, Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Jesus is saying, look at your life and ask yourself the question, whose kingdom do you belong to? Wide, wide, he says. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And here's what Jesus is saying. And again, I realize where I'm sitting, when I'm sitting, 2019, West Coast, Canada, one of the least church cities in North America. Some of you are just like, you're here for the first time. It's like, okay, <laughs> whoops. Sorry. When he, when he talks about destruction, he's talking about eternal separation from God. He's saying there's a path that leads to God and then there's a path that does not lead to God. It leads away from him. And we have to ask the question, which path are we on? Jesus is saying here, if you, choose the, if you choose the wide gate and the broad path, the broad road that leads to destruction, which many will do, your trajectory is hell. And, and I get the, the weight of that. Like, I mean, I sat in Starbucks, I got there at 6 a.m. this morning, and I just sat in the corner, and I just prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I labored, not over my sermon, but over us. Because I realized that this is a heavy word. And I don't want to, I don't want to say it tritely, I don't, I don't want to be flippant with my words, but I, I want us to feel it. Like verses 21, 22, and 23, which I just read, like I, I don't know if you are picking up what Jesus is throwing down here, but here, here's what he's saying. Some of you are going to go to church every single Sunday. You're going to go to community group. You're going to go to DNA group. You're going to give. You're going to not even just give like infrequently. You're going to monthly give. You're on a serve team. You're doing all the things. but you don't know him. And so Jesus is saying, do you know me? Do you know me? Is your life evidence that you know me? But more than that, deeper than that, at your heart, do you know me? And look at what he says next. He says the other gate. Here's what he says, verse 14. But, but small is the gate, or what he says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few will find it. Jesus here says that 
The way of the kingdom is narrow. It's narrow. The word narrow, another way of translating it would be like a compression. Literal translation could be strangulation. That's comforting, hey? If you're going to follow me, if you're going to live a kingdom life, if you're going to enter through the gate that leads to life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be compressed. You're going to be strangulated. You are going to be strangled if you follow Jesus. Comforting, right? Again, we said this last week, shouldn't be surprising. That's what he's been saying week in, week out through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Like expect that if you are going to follow Jesus, the life of a Christian is going to be hard. The life of following Jesus is a life of self-denial. It's a life of sacrifice. It's narrow. You're swimming upstream. We've been saying through the Sermon on the Mount that that the kingdom of God, there's an upside downness to the kingdom, that there's an opposite way of living that reflects the heart of the king who is Jesus, and that is what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying, and, and, and you gotta feel this, is that if we're gonna follow him, our lives are going to be turned upside down. It's gonna be difficult. It's not going to be easy. Some people who are outside of the church would look at Christianity, they would look at belief in God, and they would say that Christianity is a crutch. It's a crutch just to kind of help you get through the hard things of life because you you don't have the stomach to get through the, the hard things of life, and so you just need to believe in this Jesus stuff to get you through the hard things in life. And here's what I would say to that. There's an element, an aspect of that which is true. Is, is belief in God and belief in the gospel helpful? Yes. Does it, is it hopeful? Yes. But it's not a crutch. There is no way that following Jesus should be a crutch. Tell the 16-year-old, 17-year-old boy who's, or girl who's trying to live a life of sexual purity the way that the kingdom of God calls them to live and then go to high school. Tell them that, that following Jesus is a crutch. Uh, tell those same kids who have literally have social media attacking them and promoting pornography to them that, and, and they're trying to remain pure for the sake of the gospel that following Jesus is a crutch. Tell the business guy who goes on the road trip and all the other business guys, you know, they put their wedding ring away and they, and and they go to the strip club and and they don't want to do that. Tell them, tell that person that following Jesus is a crutch. Tell, tell the person who's, who's got resources, money, and, and they want to give it away rather than spend it on themselves that following Jesus is a crutch. It's not a crutch. Jesus is calling us, his followers, to live a narrow way. It's actually really hard. It's really hard. There's a tension. There's a pain. There's a sense in which the self gets crushed as we seek to follow Jesus because here's what happens when you enter into the kingdom And again, we've been using this analogy a lot through the Sermon on the Mount, but you have to get off the throne. Chris has to get off the throne, and you have to supplant yourself with Jesus. That's hard. It's difficult. It's crushing. And yet Jesus says, this is the way into the kingdom. And notice the word he uses here. He says, enter. Enter. You you have to make a decision. Like you have to actually 
enter into the gate. You have to actually choose which path you're going to go on, which kingdom you're going to live for, which king you will serve, what your life will be defined by. We have to choose. Some of us love the idea of Jesus, right? Some of us love the community around Jesus. There's a lot of people here who are kind of newer to faith, starting to figure this thing out, and, and, and you're on a journey. And, and I don't want to in any way marginalize the journey that people are on. But there comes a point where you have to actually make a decision. There comes a point where it's not enough to just hover around Jesus, to hover around the gospel, to hover around uh, the gate, to say, I really like Jesus's teachings. I really like Jesus's people. I really like what this kind of church has to afford me and offer me. But you have to actually take a step. You have to actually walk in. You have to actually start down the path. And don't miss what Jesus is saying here. There's only two options. See, to decide to not decide is actually a decision. To say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit in the back and, and, and you know, just kind of wait. And, and I get it. I, we're not asking anyone to check their brain at the door. We're not asking anyone to not be thoughtful in their journey. We're not asking anyone to not ask questions, anything like that. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. The point of what Jesus is saying here is do not deceive yourself. That a decision to not follow me is indeed a decision to not follow me. And for some of you, it's time. Maybe not all of you, but for some of you, it's time to just take that step. You've heard all that Jesus has to say. You've been sitting here. You've been part of the community. You've been hearing the gospel. And Jesus is saying, like, come on. What are you waiting for? And he's pleading with you to come to faith in him. But don't hear him pleading as someone who's desperate for you to come to him. He's pleading with you in the same way that a, a parent would plead with a child who's on a path of destruction. And he's saying, I want you to know how good I am. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that if you were to follow me, if you were to enter into the narrow gate, if you were to walk down the narrow path, that yes, from, from the outside looking in, it looks tough, it looks difficult, you gotta give up a lot, but hear, hear what I'm saying here, hear what Jesus is saying here, it leads to life. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that to live this upside down, inside out, countercultural way it's actually to live the way that God intended you to live. And Jesus is saying, will you choose life? Will you choose life? Will you choose to live in my kingdom? And for some of you, you need to decide. You decide. You need to put your hand on not right now. <laughs> We're not going to do an altar call at the end of this thing. But you just need to, between you and Jesus and maybe your spouse, or your community group leader, or somebody in your DNA group, or someone in your CG who you love, or if you don't know anybody, it's just your first time here, come and talk to me after. And you just need to be like, I sense the Spirit of God prompting me to follow Jesus. I don't have a clue what that even means, but I want to do it. It's like, all right, let's do this. Let's go. I really believe, I really believe, just as your friend, as a leader in this church, that the Spirit of God is, is pursuing so many of us to come to him. Don't delay, friends, don't delay. But make no mistake, Jesus says, indeed, there are only two options. There's only two choices. And so some of us would hear that 
And immediately we would think to ourselves, like, that just seems, again, un-Canadian of Jesus, right? This is what uh, philosophers would call the problem of exclusivity, right? When we hear this idea, like, is what Jesus saying here that there's only one truth, that there's only one way to God, there's only one path that actually leads to heaven? That seems exclusive, And Jesus is indeed saying that. Jesus is being very, as I've said, he's being very intolerant. He's being very un-Canadian. And really, this runs against the grain of the way that we view spirituality in our context and culture. One one of the misnomers of how we view spirituality in Canada, and particularly in Victoria, is we have this sense, and I think it's, I think we just have an inferiority complex as the church, that, that our culture is like, a crazy intolerant of us. And there's a sense in which they are. When we try and impose our morality on a country, then yes, they become very intolerant of us. But the reality is on the ground, boots on the ground, if you actually start talking to non-Christians about the things that you believe, here's generally, not always, but generally my experience has been this. It's not like hostility, it's apathy. They're not hostile to the gospel. They don't like, you know, unfriend you on social media, stop following you, and then never invite you over anymore unless you're really weird about it and then you get what you deserve. But usually, this is the kind of response I get. Really good for you, but I hope that's working out for you. And the reality is in our city, there's kind of this, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet kind of take when it comes to spirituality. A little bit of yoga, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of mindfulness, you know, a little bit of self-help, a little bit of whatever it is. You just kind of take from whatever you want. As long as it's working for you, then it's good. And Jesus comes into that reality. He comes into this like sort of, you know, I call it the espionage, spiritual but not religious, tolerant of uh, every idea. And, and just as long as it works for you, then it's good. As long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as your beliefs are sincere, he comes into that and he says, that's not how it works. Like Jesus is not, you know, Oprah. He doesn't say there are many paths and take whichever one you want and as long as you believe it sincerely, then it's all good. It's not this idea that there's you know, one mountain with many paths and many religions and many ideologies and many worldviews and as long as you're a good person and you don't hurt anyone and you try your best to help old ladies cross the street, as long as you do that stuff, then it's all good. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Jesus comes into that idea and he says no. He says no to it. He says, there is one gate. There is one path that leads to life. Every other gate, every other path leads to destruction. Every other religion, every other worldview, every other philosophy. And I get it. Jesus is confronting the modern Canadian spiritual spirit. There's like a head-on collision that is happening right now. Some of you are furious with what I'm saying. You think this is archaic. As I always say, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. These are what the verses say. This is what Jesus said. We have to deal with it. But I want you for just a second to think about what Jesus is saying and and contrast it with what culture says when it comes to spirituality. Imagine we were to take this idea of, you know, all truths being equal and every idea being a valid idea, as long as you believe it sincerely, and we were to apply it to any other aspect of our lives. Like if you have kids, just imagine this. Your son or daughter comes home from school and they had a big test and you know they didn't study and and it was a math test. And you say, hey, hey partner, how'd the math test go? Well, I sincerely believe that I did very well on my math test. I wholeheartedly believe. Like, I, I, you know, I just, I have a lot of belief. It's, I'm a good person and I believe I did good on my math test. 
that's dumb, right? That's not going to go well. You're going to get the test back. You're going to see the grade. Student's going to go to the teacher and say, well, I, I believed that I did well. I sincerely believe that I did well. Well, math doesn't care how you feel. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. You can't say one plus one equals two and one plus one equals three. They're both not right. One is right and one is wrong. But yet here's what we do when it comes to metaphysical truth, right? Spiritual truth, we completely blow up our categories. And we say, like, you can't say something's right and something's wrong. You have to say everything's right. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, that's not the case. Now, if we just use logic, forget about what Jesus says for a second. If we just use logic, here's what we would have to say. One religious idea of philosophy could be right. Or they all could be wrong, but they can't all be right. And then some will push back and say, well, I don't believe there's such thing as absolute truth, especially when it comes to spirituality, to which I always say, do you absolutely believe that? And they say, yes, I absolutely believe that. You must have went to public school, huh? I send my kids to public school. So here, here's what I would, if you're here, you're a skeptic, you know, you're just here visiting, dragged here by a friend, your spouse, or whatever the case is. Here's what I would say to you. Here's what I'd say to all of us. Because I, I actually think probably if we were to be really honest, even those of us in the church, I, we have a really hard time with this. Really, really, really hard time with this. Saying that Jesus is the only way. Here's what I would say to us. Do not let your cultural sensitivities impact how you view what Jesus is saying here. It's easy to be very dismissive of these ideas, but do not let your cultural sensitivities get in the way of understanding what Jesus is saying. He's saying there is only two options and there is only one way. There are only two options and there is only one way. And you must decide. You must decide which gate will you go through? Which path will you choose? Will you live for Jesus or will you live for something else? But no, be warned, friends, all of us, be warned that wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. Jesus goes on after this warning, and here's what he says. He's going to actually now warn us about things that can take us off of this narrow path. So he's calling his disciples, he's calling those of us who are his followers to live the narrow path, to repent, to walk away from the broad road that leads to destruction and to walk this narrow path that leads to life. And then look at what he says next, verse 15. He says, watch out or be warned. Be warned. For what, Jesus? For false prophets. Jesus is saying there are going to be people who are going to come and try and take you off the narrow path. And next week is even more harsh because next week he's going to say you have to be careful for yourself because the most likely person to take you off the narrow path is actually you. But this week what he's saying is you need to watch out because there are going to be false prophets who are going to try and take you off the narrow path. Now when Jesus talks about prophets, what's he talking about here? He's talking about teachers. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about leaders. He's talking about me. 
He's talking about anyone who's going to get up here and open a Bible and try and tell you what the scriptures say. Here's what Jesus is saying. You must be discerning. Not all sermons are created equal. Not all pastors and preachers and churches are created equal. And what I'm not going to do this morning is name names, name churches. I'm not going to hold our church up and say, we've got it the right way. Everyone else has it, uh, you know, the wrong way. And if they'd be more like us and teach and preach more like us, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so do not hear me say that. But here is what I am saying. Heed the words of Jesus here because Jesus is calling his people to be discerning. Just because someone opens a Bible, says or can spell the name of Jesus, doesn't mean what they are giving you is the gospel. Look at what he says in the next couple verses here. The second half of uh, verse 15, he says, well, well, let me just read the whole thing. Watch out for false preachers, false prophets, false teachers, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Here's what Jesus is saying about false teachers and prophets. He's saying you need to be very, very discerning and careful because they are going to disguise themselves. The warning for the church to be mindful of false teachers and prophets, this is littered all through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul many times warns churches that he's planted uh, to watch out for wolves who will come in and destroy. And here's his warning. Most of the time it's that these wolves will be uh, risen up from among the sheep. And that's a a lot what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you know, if if a false teacher or a false preacher or a false prophet comes in, they're going to disguise themselves. They're not going to come in and preach a different gospel. Uh, They're not going to come in and and, and preach a a heresy necessarily. They're going to come in and they're going to sound and look a lot like the truth. But as Matt often says, one of the elders around here, the best lies are 99% true. Like Jesus says, he says, they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Here's what he's saying. Like the, he's saying that uh, false prophets going to come in and they're going to look like sheep, but they're actually wolves, but they're not actually going to look like sheep because here's what a shepherd would do. A shepherd would actually dress himself in the, the wool of the sheep he was leading so that the flock would actually recognize him and follow him. So what Jesus is saying here is those who are going to be false teachers and preachers, they're not going to be necessarily, although I think this does happen, be in the back row and cunningly try and, you know, get one or two people to follow them, although I do think that happens. He's saying you need to be careful for the people on the stage with the microphones, with the Bibles open, claiming to talk on behalf of God. He says down here a little bit further, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. So it's not like you have two trees and one is alive and one is dead. You have two trees and they both bear fruit. And in general, the fruit kind of looks the same, but you're going to eat one type of fruit and it's going to be good. It's actually going to nourish you and satisfy you and fill you. And there's going to be another kind of fruit. It's going to be poisonous. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. And so what Jesus is saying here is you need to be discerning. You need to be careful. 
Because there's going to be teachers and preachers who are going to come along. They're not going to preach heresy. They're not going to preach another gospel. But here's what they're going to do. They're going to call you away from the narrow path. In my experience, hanging out with our people, and we have a lot of people here who have come to faith right here through our church family. We have a lot of people who are new. We have a lot of people who are checking this thing out. And we live in an age where we have access to more material than ever. I mean, YouTube videos, podcasts, Christian radio stations, bookstores. And, you know, some of you, like, make fun of me for making fun of some of that stuff. This is why. The goal, the goal of all teaching and preaching according to Jesus should be to call us to the narrow path. And Jesus says, if you're not careful, some of the things you listen to, some of the leaders that you submit yourself to, some of the leaders that you sit under and you actually sit under their teaching, and you think you're just listening to a podcast, you think you're just watching a YouTube video, but you're actually sitting under the teaching of a teacher, Jesus is saying they're actually a wolf and they're going to pull you off the narrow path. The Apostle Paul, if you have your Bibles, go to, the, go to the left. He says this in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, he says, <clears throat> warning uh, his young protege, Timothy. Oh my, where are we here? Here we go. Beware of preachers that can't find books in their own Bible. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's what he says, verses uh, 1 through 5. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So Paul, writing to young Timothy, who is going to be a leader and church planter, here's his charge to him. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So he's saying, Here's what I want you to do. Teach and preach the Bible. Okay, when you plant your church, when you're leading your church, it's really important that you teach and preach the Bible. That's vital. It's the word of God. It reveals to us the person and work of Jesus. It reveals to us the heart of God. Now look at what he says next in verse 3, similar to what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 7. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. What is Peter, Paul rather, saying to Timothy? Preach the word. Preach the word and be mindful of those who would come and preach in such a way as they would pull people off of the narrow path. 
So when we start to think about false teachers and preachers, what are some of the things to pay attention to? What are some of the things to look out for? Here's the first question. Does this, does this message, does this teacher, does this preacher, do they make much of Jesus? Is Jesus the center or am I the center? See, a lot of times what false teachers and preachers will do is they will use the name of Jesus to preach a gospel that makes you the center. And so the message of the teaching and preaching, the message of their uh, understanding of the gospel is it's about you, it's about your health, it's about your wealth, it's about your prosperity, it's about your benefit, the wide way. It's not about the narrow path that leads to life, but it's about the broad path that leads to destruction. And it's oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, not even so much what the teachers and preachers say, but it's what they don't say. It's what they don't emphasize. It's what they don't ever talk about. They, they skip the hard parts. They, they don't teach through every verse of the Bible. They pick the topics they want to talk about. They never talk about the justice of God. They very rarely, if ever, talk about the cross of God. And if they do talk about the cross of, of Christ, they do not emphasize the fact that Jesus on the cross died in your place for your sins. He bore your wrath, uh, the wrath of God that you deserve. But hell, why? They want to entice you to keep listening. They want you to feel like what they are having to say to you sounds like Christianity. He had a Bible. He's in a church. I got it on the Christian channel, on the podcast. I listened to it on the Christian radio station. I got it at the Christian bookstore, so it must be good. Jesus is saying, beware. Be discerning. Watch out for anything that would pull you off of the narrow path. And here's the reality. We all know that we're broken. There's something wrong. And so one of the reasons we like false teachers is because they actually convince us by de-emphasizing our own brokenness and our own sinfulness, by de-emphasizing the cross, by de-emphasizing the justice of God, they convince us that there's a way that doesn't require us to look inside our own hearts and see our own brokenness for what it really is. But friends, here is the reality. That is not helpful. And that will crush you. Because I think if we're honest, every single one of us knows that there is something broken. And when we are told that all we have to do is pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, when we are told that, you know, that the, all that matters is the love of God, when we are told that we can have the love of, of the human heart, we have, we have believed a counterfeit gospel. See, what Jesus has done, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, his first words in his sermon, Jesus was not a very good seeker-sensitive preacher. His first words in the sermon were, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. When we recognize our brokenness, when we recognize the reality that 
that yes, we are sinful. Yes, we were born into iniquity as we sang. That yes, we are hurting. That yes, we have done things that are wrong. That are wrong. When we recognize the reality that we, we live under this, we hide it well, but there's this undertone of guilt and there's this undertone of shame. But when we go there, here's what happens. The love of God actually means something. Christ actually means something. Because we realize in that moment that God looks at us just as we are in our broken state. I still give my life for you. I still went to the cross for you that although you deserve condemnation, you receive life. That although you deserve destruction, you receive grace, you receive mercy. And when you realize how unworthy it changes you. It changes you. So Jesus says, beware, watch out for false prophets. I'm going to invite the band up as I close. And I just want to close with one question. Simple time to think about it and time to respond. And the question is this, which path are you on? Which gate have you walked through? Where are you in the journey? He's been calling us to live for him. He's been calling us to humble ourselves. He's been calling us to look into our own hearts, to recognize our brokenness, to see our deep need for him. And now his invitation is to enter into the gate. Some of you have been hovering around the gate you need to enter the gate. Some of you are here and it's your first time and you don't even know what we're talking about, but you have this overwhelming sense that something that is being talked about and communicated, something that Jesus is saying here, it's right and it's true. What that is, is the Holy Spirit pursuing you and hunting you down. Some of you have been in church for a very long time and you have, you have lied to yourself. You have tricked yourself into thinking that you were on the narrow path, but you're not on the narrow path. You're not, you never have been. You're like the religious leaders who Jesus has been rebuking for much of this sermon. On the outside, you look like you are on the narrow path, but on the inside, you know that you yourself gain. You can't play games with God. You can fool us, but you can't fool him. And so the question for all of us, whether it's your first time here, whether you've been coming here or going to church gatherings for years, is simply this, which path are you on? The mission of Jesus is simple, to enter through the narrow gate. Choose him. Recognize that you, that he's good, that he gave, and follow his invitation to enter into the narrow gate. Let me pray for us. Spirit of God, would you move? Would you move? Would you speak to us, all of us, Would you draw us to yourself? Jesus, we believe that if we lift up your name, that you will draw men and women unto yourself. So right now, Lord, we invite you to have...
Some of us are here and we, we do love you, but we just look at the other path. And on the surface, it looks really good. We kind of want that. We just want to break from the struggle. Spirit, would you just show us that, that your way leads to life? Fill us right now in this moment. Encourage us in this moment. Pour out your grace in us in this moment. They've been coming for a while. They are interested, and there's just something, there's a fear, there's a concern, there's a hesitation. Lord, we, we believe that perfect love casts out all fear. So just in this moment, would you just pour out your perfect love into them as we sing, as we take communion, as we just sing about your goodness and grace and the beauty of the gospel? Would you love into their hearts that, that your love would become so big and that all the things that are holding them back, all the concerns, all the fears, they would just get melted away in the presence of your love. So, Lord, we just ask you to come. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.